0: Right folks, hello and welcome back to the second webinar. Um, I know it was quite short notice for the, the second one, so I just want to kinda of thank you for coming back into this one in such short notice again. Um based on the success of the first one and the positive feedback that we received after it, we decided to just turn this episode into a webinar because it was initially meant to just be a normal podcast. Um, but we decided to change that um based on the feedback. Um so after the the first webinar, we gave you all a wee Google form to fill out and that was just to get some feedback it was our first one to see how it went and although we did get a lot of positive feedback um, the main kind of thing that cropped up was that it wasn't as interactive as maybe you would have liked so on the back of that we decided to get everybody to or most people anyway planned a question in advance um on the sign up form um, and although we won't be able to answer all 90 odds of the questions or however many questions that we got um we decided to choose a few questions that we feel maybe won't get answered within the the questions that we were going to ask tonight anyway. Um, So each of of us have taken a question each, so there'll be four questions answered at the end. Um, And there was also a lot of questions that were very similar. So I will cover that at the end and kind of direct you to some of the podcasts that we've recorded previously. We guess that we feel that have kind of covered those areas um, better than what we would probably be able to answer those kind of questions. So with that being said... For those of you that haven't heard about the podcast before, I know there's a lot of um, the same faces from the last webinar, but myself and Clark started this at the beginning of the first lockdown and it's kind of continued ever since and we've released one episode per week. The vision behind the podcast is hopefully to inspire, teach and entertain and we feel that this vision is reflected by the guests that we've been lucky enough to interview and then share the conversations with everybody online. The reason we started it, again, was just for the very reason each of you have signed up again to this today, and obviously signed up for the first time, and it's just to try and learn as much as we can from the guests, and ultimately take actionable points away from each episode that we can apply within our own personal and professional lives. Um, So that's just a wee bit of background information on the podcast, and uh, why we kind of started it, and why we do it. Um, But I'll pass you over to Clark now, who, as always, will do the honours of introducing both of the guests tonight.
1: Thanks, mate, top man. Um, we'll get started then. So, before we go on to introduce the guests who have kindly given up their time tonight, Jordan and Stuart, um, a partner of the podcast, is uh, Premiership Experience, who offer fantastic sports tours within the UK and abroad, and uh, provide unforgettable experiences for our young people. So, be sh- be sure to check them out on Twitter at Premiership Experience. Um, I can speak from from experience um, that they are um, really good trips, and um, hopefully. Given the kind of roadmap out a lot down there that we will be able to Lewis, can you mute the No, any chance you can mute them? Is that better? Cheers top man. Um so be sure to check them out, hopefully. Um the roadmap out a down. Um we'll be able to organise some trips down south um and abroad um in in August, hopefully. Um so be sure to check them out so first of all thanks for everyone um, for giving the time tonight to come on and be a part of our interactive webinar as Lewis said we we took some of the feedback that you gave us and um tried to try to make this one a wee bit more interactive based on the questions that you had put on the google form so hopefully we answer them tonight if there are any other questions that come up then put them in the chat box jordan and stuart said they'd be more than happy to to answer them as best they can just lastly we want you to leave here tonight feeling inspired to take action to develop your vision of what quality PE looks like in the BGE and really get you thinking about your practice as we start to move back to school hopefully in the next few weeks. So, um, Jordan Flynn is as a, as a PE teacher at Carrick Academy in Ayrshire um, and Stuart Ferns as well is a, a PE teacher as well at Charleston Academy in Inverness. Um, they've both been teaching for a few years now um, and are really looking forward to come around to a wee bit of everything to share their, their experience um, of teaching the Broad General Education. So, I'm well, more than confident that what the boys have got to say it will mean that you'll learn a lot about um, how to track and monitor, and obviously how to teach the BGE um, practically. And when I mentioned earlier about it being interactive, we, we do really mean that, and we want you to get involved tonight. So if you have any questions which spring to mind, put them in the chat box. Um, we might have time at the end for a, a very quick question and answer session, which will be um, hopefully squeezed in at the end. And as I said, any questions as, as it goes along, just put them in the chat box and ask away. So, right, without um, further ado, we will pass you over to Jordan and Stuart. Um, first of all, boys, how how you doing? How's things been today? Been a busy Monday?
2: I'm well, thanks, yeah.
1: Oh, not uh, bad.
2: Busy as always. Yeah, always busy. busy. As always. But I nice think, weather, um, so can't complain. I know, it's been
1: a lot better today and I think you'll be feeling good today Stuart, off the back of the Ross County win last night Yes, so, big win, so Needless
2: to say, not as much
1: Not as much for Jordan, as a yeah. Cali fan <laughs> Right, well, away from the football, back to the, the teaching Before we get into the kind of main part of the webinar about um, the BGE Could you give everyone a brief summary on your careers to date? Um, we'll start with Stuart first, if that's okay On you go, Stuarty boy
3: Yeah, Just well first of all, thanks very much for Invite us on, guys. Um, a it's, it's nice to be involved. And um, yep. obviously, Jordan and I have been sort of in the students' position as well. And I like how you're saying it could be interactive. So I was going to say, please feel free to interrupt me anytime to ask questions. Uh, I have a habit of waffling on. So, um, please do. Um, but yeah, I um, I grew up on uh, the Black Isle, just north of Inverness. I uh, was a pupil just in Fortrose Academy, up here. I I kind of decided early on I wanted to be a P.E. teacher. You probably all have that time as a student when you remember when you wanted to, what was the first thing that that inspired me to be a P.E. teacher. So um, mine was primary three. Our sort of high school P.E. teacher came down um, to our wee sort of school hall. And that was my inspiration to go on and become a P.E. teacher. So I went straight after high school. I went down to Edinburgh Uni. uh, started in 2012 on the B.Ed., PE course um, where I met Jordan, was on the same course in the same group Um, and then upon graduating in 2016 did a probation year in Musselburgh Grammar School in East Lothian and then went to be a primary PE specialist for a couple of years in two schools, uh, one called Windigool Primary School and one called Ormiston Primary School and then I decided to move back up north and I Taught. I teach in Charleston Academy so I got a job there as a PE teacher and I've just recently finished a sort of wee stint as acting PT of guidance uh, in the school but now I'm firmly back in PE.
1: Good so do you think you'll go down the, the pupil prim- support route in the future or do you think you'll stay?
3: Uh, it was a great experience yeah hopefully in the future and um, something to do with uh, yeah definitely guidance was something I really enjoyed but um, nice to be back in PE for a bit just now.
1: Yeah, we are looking forward to getting back as well into school and yeah the yeah, exactly. lessons I'm sure. Yeah, right, well um, thanks for that Stuart, um, top man. We'll move on to Jordan then if you can give us a wee background on your career to date.
2: Yeah no problem, thanks very much for having me on. Um, so I follow a kind of similar, um, similar path to Stuart in that um, I had a nice experience when I was younger. Um, my PE experience was always very very positive, being influenced by a lot of great PE teachers in my time. Um, but I mean, even just back when I was a kind of 13, 14-year-old, I went out on work experience to a school called Kyle Academy in Ayrshire. And there's a PE legend there, Jerry Phillips, who was a PT there for a number of years. And just really at the end of my placement, I kind of asked them what do I need to do to be, become a PE teacher. And really, this information kind of came from, uh, go to Moray House, I don't bother. So that's kind of what happened to me. I left school in 2016, went to Moray House, so University of Edinburgh. Graduated there, the senior student in 2016. Having left uh, uni, I then went to um, my probation year at James Hamilton Academy, which is in Kilmarnock. So I was there as a student, um, my second year. So I was delighted to kind of go back there, the department, and I really enjoyed all the time I had um, on probation year. Unfortunately, there was no job following that, which is kind of typical of what happens. Um, and that's when I moved to Carrick Academy, where I've been kind of ever since. Um, alongside that I'm a part-time master student at the University of Strathclyde. Um, so I'm kind of teaching full time but still enjoying my, my student discount with the old Nike trainers.
1: Just a say that we can't enjoy the, the student life as well, that um, because of lockdown as well. I was gonna ask you both of you bet you feeling sorry for the kind of students now because it's not the same experience that they're getting, but hopefully we'll be back to normal soon. Um just on the a masters what what what's the course called would you would you recommend that for any, any
2: yeah, it's, sorry yeah it's the master in education course right okay um okay. so definitely recommend it to to kind anyone that's kind of want to push their practice a bit more and and find a bit more kind of evidence-based um what they practice and and kind of carry out good uh, research
1: great superb right so that's a good bit of advice there already from from uh, Jordan, if you want to push the kind of envelope and what's impossible, and kind of research your, your practice, that's a, that's a good opportunity to go to uni, and I'll go back to uni again when you're teaching. it as, as possible to do both. So thanks for that, both of you. Um, we're going to move into some teaching and learning questions now. Um, we're big at a wee bit of everything, as we've said before. To take strategies away from the podcast and actually action on them straight away in the classroom. Sometimes when you read books and you read that um, university kind of journals and stuff, you'll be used to that. It's hard to kind of really decipher how you can actually implement it and improve your practice so hopefully through these podcasts and webinars you're taking uh, strategies away and actually being able to reflect on them and um, implement them, uh, sorry, implement them and then reflect on them so the BGE can be taught in so many different ways I'm sure I'll do it differently from Jordan and Stuart will do it differently from Lewis so hopefully tonight you'll get a kind of overview of how we, we all do it um, and um Sometimes this can lead to inconsistencies and confusion within departments, which I'm sure the boys will touch on. So I'll ask him, um, Jordan first then. So how do you teach the BGE in your school, Jordan, with regards to the activities? And then um, how how do you link the activities to the benchmark? Would you be able to give us a wee o- oversight of that?
2: So if i maybe start that by just saying if, if Stuart wants to jump in uh, before, and can I give a wee, um, a wee oversight of that and then I'll come back to it?
3: Perfect, sounds good. Yeah, I was just picking up on what you were saying there, Clark, Jordan, and I discussed it before. Um, Just the idea when you're saying the BGE and the sort of inconsistencies and the confusion that can kind of come out of it, and you were talking about, as a student, it can quite often be quite confusing if you read certain journals, and maybe you're reading this research, and your application of that, And your experience of working in a school is quite limited. So it's quite difficult sometimes to transfer the two. And I think that quite often can create quite a negative relationship between sort of what you learn in an academic sense and then what you do in a practical sense. But I think Jordan and I, we were both, we're probably both very much of the opinion that I think if you're to do BGE in a way that is suitable for your school in a suitable way that is meant to be done sorry from a policy level you need to kind of not know your research but you need to be aware of what's going on so I think if you look at the BGE and it might be it might be naive of me to say this but some students might not know the specifics of what BGE actually is you know we Mm -hmm. talk about it the BGE well actually it's, it's got arms and legs all over the place so I think we kind of thought and again, please interrupt us if you feel this is not necessary, but almost for the students to actually have a wee breakdown of what actually is PGE. Like, what do we actually do when we teach broad general education? Well, yeah, what are we meant good. to be teaching? So the way we looked at it, and Jordan and I are very much of a similar mindset, just, just boil it all down and go, where do we start? So we have to look at it. Well, where do we sit within our sort of curriculum? You know, we are, curriculum for excellence is still in place and it might be quite old school, but everything we do, as scottish education we've still got to build these four capacities so that is very old school but that's what the core business of what we do is pe you know is housed in health and well health and well-being and we're lucky enough that we have experiences and outcomes that are there for us so if you as a student are wanting to know well where do i actually start Well, go into your policies and look at what are the experiences and outcomes and then how do i make that a reality within my practice because again i know quite a lot of um, what we'll do at university and things you'll maybe do well focus on basketball we'll focus on football we'll focus on badminton we'll do different sports but actually we need to know what specifically are we having to teach in through and about those using those sports to teach specific things so um within that i
1: was the same i I always used the then there's a kind of the planning like the experiences and outcomes like the movement skills and then the cooperation and competing yeah and appreci- appreciating value so, and evaluating stuff
3: yeah and i might be preaching to the converted here um, and i would say you know a lot of students you'll be aware of this but that's that's where i would definitely start that's and a good we're place to start yep. we're very lucky within our subject that we've got our significant aspects of learning as well which you know a big inspiration to me as a young teacher was a lady called Marion Barclay in um, East Lothian. She was one of our PE, um, she was a lead officer in the authority. And she would always describe that that's our Bible. That's what we do. So this is what the nuts and bolts of our practice actually are. And then we have our benchmarks in there as well to help support our and inform our judgment about whether we think pupils are meeting and um, sort of specific levels. Um, but I think the, you've talked about the confusion. I think because there's no one way of doing it, it's like you've said, we've got these experiences and outcomes, we've got our significant aspects of learning, but it's not really a policy that we implement. You know, If you look at the research, I think Mark Priestley writes a lot about it, they talk about you enact a curriculum based on your situation. So like you've said there, Clark, the way I'll teach it in my school, or I've taught it in my school, would be very different to yours because our schools are not the same. The kids are not the Mm -hmm. same, the facilities are not the same, the teachers are not the same. So how can we actually? teach it so I think it would be naive of myself and Jordan to say to the students this is how you go and do it now I'm yeah. no expert in this and um, I think some of the ideas we've got might lead into it and um, into you know teaching strategies but my biggest sort of takeaway would be this is a great opportunity for you actually as a teacher within this curriculum that we've got to make it suitable for your own school and for your own kids so it's almost like we're giving these what some would classify as vague experience and outcomes but we can actually build them into our own school and make it right for our learners so instead of maybe saying maybe inconsistencies and confusion I understand that but I think it's more of it gives us a wee bit of clarity and license to actually go and do these things without fear of going oh well I must teach the layup this way or I must teach the backhand serve this way like that's all good we can do that but what are we specifically um sort of looking for and I think my having worked in a primary school I think one of my biggest um sort of takeaway messages for the, the students here if we're talking about BGE and teaching strategies the BGE that starts when you're in nursery you know your journey in PE when you look at your significant aspects of learning you start at an early level so you start in nurseries. So all the way through nursery all the way through s1 s2 s3 you're focusing on broad general education and if you look at pupils in high school you can choose to leave after fourth year if you're a certain age so the majority of your schooling is bge so i feel quite strongly and i know jordan agrees that that is a fundamental focus of what you should be doing and I, yes higher is very important national five and national four are very important but BGE is where you develop your fundamental movement skills and where you would probably agree with this yourself guys you know why are we in this we want to promote lifelong engagement in physical activity and sport you know so that to me is extremely important that we do that and we've been given sort of license to do it so just from i know i've waffled a wee bit but just think if you, you know your policy first and know what it's allowing you to do and know the nuts and bolts of what you need to do as a teacher and how you can bring them to life in your school and almost don't be fearful of this BGE or oh, it's really big, scary thing. Yes, it might look it on paper, but you're allowed to make it suitable for your school and suitable for your context. So please, as a student, don't be scared. You know, Go and look at examples of practice all over the place, particularly within a primary school where you're looking at BGE at loads of different levels um, and just, and learn from that. So yeah, it's, uh, I think we've got a great opportunity within BGE really to teach in so many different ways and um, so yeah I know <laughs> that might sound as if it's no. even more uh, I don't know Jordan and I were always very much as students we we're like we want to know things and exactly what to do but I kind of feel there's yeah. no one way of doing it there's no right way so hmm. you might leave the podcast here going oh I'm just more confused <laughs> but <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that's, yeah,
1: said,
3: that's just the mean, beauty it's of it
1: not, yeah I know that's I think you've you've took a really positive kind of mindset towards it like there's not a specific way of doing it it's very much down to the context and the kids um yeah. but thanks for touching on the kind of points with the experiences and outcomes um using them to plan and then as you mm-hmm. said using the benchmarks to inform judgments on pupils' progress yeah um so thanks for that and sure. um you really honest there with your, with your own kind of judgments on it so yeah. thanks very much sure. um we'll move on to um jordan then would you like to give your thoughts on the kind of um, broad general education kind of as an overview of it first?
2: Definitely, definitely. Um, I think the place maybe best to start with this is to again acknowledge that, you know, there's, there was, P has moved from expressive arts in 5 to 14 um, and it's now housed within health and well-being. Now obviously that kind of information, that stuff's going to happen now almost over, 12, over 10 years ago now but it's still really relevant because this shift that's happened, I think has had quite a big bearing on the way that maybe the subject is conceptualized. Okay, so that's important to be aware of, just I think as a, as a student, but also teachers and, and beyond. Okay, so for instance, what I mean here is that it could be argued um, that PE is placed in a, in a prominent position within Critton for Excellence, within Health and Wellbeing, Uh, due to the government's deep-rooted concerns about the obesity epidemic, about physical inactivity, about sedentary behaviours. So although um, health may be um, framed and outlined in the CFE um, in a a holistic manner, I feel for me that there's still an opportunity or a a problem that maybe this idea of of a healthism discourse um, is influencing the way which PE is interpreted and is delivered. And then Shirley Gray talks a lot about that um, in, in detail. If you kind of look at her stuff in and Andrew Horrell, um, they kind of explore that, that information in more detail For if you're looking at essays and stuff like this. Um, but I think that kind of conflation between physical activity and physical health um, puts us at risk as a subject of being pigeonholed into kind of simplistic notions of, skills and fitness and you know this kind of uncritical understanding of what health is and what that means and what well-being is Um, and that maybe therefore reflects a lot onto that kind of physical domain of learning where you know that's kind of what's been explored traditionally is um, the physical domain uh, where we're really looking at uh, which kind of David Cook's work PE as sports techniques approach so um, we're, we're really focusing on skills and techniques of, of every sport. We're looking at teaching them all through and then putting them all to, to kind of together again. So that idea of a warm-up, skill development one, skill development two, game, and then kind of wrapping it up from there. And I think if we are going to be focusing on the holistic development of young people, we really need to kind of move beyond that now. We need to move beyond that as a subject. Um, and we really need to kind of explore the holistic possibilities for our subject. And actually, you know, frame nicely in, in the significant aspects of learning, if you look at that, um, which we will do in a minute, the, the poster that gives you, you know, the holistic um, organisers that are there for that. Um, so, yeah, just kind of going back to go forward a little bit, I'm thinking that the obesity epidemic, which is kind of suggested is kind of, you know, in the, the media um, and stuff like that, that is kind of maybe deemed the biggest issue that might be facing PE, and it's easy to go down to that kind of uh, way of thinking. But I think if you look a little bit deeper um, at the research, you look a little bit deeper into the literature just now, um, what you'll find is that probably the biggest issue that faces our subject is something we're not really prepared for, and that's a mental health crisis just now. Um, I mean, the, the kind of statistics you look at, I think it's around one in four people in Scotland from NHS point of view, you know, 792 million people um, across the world impacted by this and you know it, it's something that's not going to be here in a couple of years it's it's here as of yesterday so the ways that we can maybe you know go beyond that if we if we think um and we look at it more clearly you know david kirk and his work again kind of talks about this idea and i know it was on one of the podcasts previously this idea of understanding how precarity could maybe have an impact on, on on young people how it's eroding mental health and then some of the strategies that you can use to, you know, start to allow PE to overcome and, and start to fight back against some of these issues and help our young people in the holistic development that they've got. And he talks a lot about in his work, which I'd kind of advise students to go in and look at um, his most recent work and, and the, the podcast as well, where he spoke about this in detail. Is, is looking at critical pedagogies of effect. So working within the effective domain, working within, um, you know, the emotional. Um, side of it, which also relates nicely to, to personal qualities within the significant aspects of learning. So that was just like one way I wanted to kind of um, showcase just being aware of, of where we're at and, and, and thinking maybe a bit beyond the bigger picture, what's kind of influence on our, our subject in some ways. Um, and then just to make a, a point on the fact that I think that um, I would argue, and I know certainly Stuart does I think as well here, that Instead of previously, where it's been the real focus of all on the physical domain and you know the other aspects were a hoped-for byproduct, what we're trying to do in some ways and, and opportunities here is um, to make it an explicit focus of learning, make it an explicit focus of what we can do in a classroom um, and take it forward from there. So, uh, my vision, my vision um, really for this, for, for physical education. It uh, kind of comes into kind of three ways, I think, to maybe speak about it um, to the students that are listening just now. Um, so my first one would be to reiterate kind of what Stuart's mentioned there, where I want to develop um, a lifelong engagement in physical activity and sport for all young people. I think it's crucial to build, obviously, the skills for learning life and work. Um, you know, how can we make our lessons educationally meaningful for young people? You know, what I mean by this is that you know scoring the layup or shooting the ball in basketball is um you know only really an important skill if you're going to be a professional basketball player you know um but if we can tailor learning around that if we can use PE as the kind of vehicle in which to drive these meaningful experiences it becomes so much more than that the opportunities for us just you know expand out from there and that's just kind of pulls me on to my last point I think as a profession so I'm talking about everyone and that's including students that's um everyone who is a university uh, researcher, PE teachers, everyone who's involved, we've got our real duty to look to optimise and evidence the great work that's done on our subject because health and wellbeing, as we know, is one of the the main three priorities in the national improvement framework. So we're at the big table, um, you know, and if you look at the research, there's roughly about £80 million a year is kind of approximately spent on physical education alone. So you know, we need to be making sure that we are capitalizing on this opportunity because we may not always be in the same position we are now. So that would be my kind of third point um, for that. So um, moving on then, I want to just kind of um, show this um, with you here just now, if you can all see that, hopefully you can. Um, So I want to just take you through um, this here. Um, So that first quote there again, like I'm saying, so that's coming straight from that paper there which is obviously speaking very clearly about the fact that we can achieve a wide range of educational outcomes for young people. I think that's important to remember that, you know, the physical domain is so important. Of course it is in physical education, will always be about the quality of movement and should always be, but there is also another element to it where we can really push forward our subject for, um, you know, long-term. So I've got that there. Um, So what I want to try and do is kind of simplify it down a little bit here and kind of take you through um, a kind of slight journey, I guess, Um, on kind of how you could run uh, a small block, so to say, of, of physical education. So this is kind of going back to what Clark and Stuart said here earlier on. So learning intentions, so statements that describe what learners should know, kind of what they need to understand and be able to do by the end of the learning experience. So it's an overarching statement. Clearly linked to health and wellbeing experiences and outcomes so we can utilize the actual words and the phrases from the experience and outcomes, which obviously will help you to identify the skills and contents to be taught. And I've given a couple of examples there as well, because I know sometimes, you know, we can speak from our experience where the learning intentions were, you know, full paragraph long, you know, too much detail, stuff like that. But I think we also remember that, you know, the kids that we're teaching are our customers. So if we can make it relatable for them, if they understand what we're talking about, then everything moves a lot smoother from there. Success criteria. So, um, definitely, the success criteria should be derived from from your benchmarks, from the PE benchmarks there. Um, so, success criteria are obviously suggested ways to achieve the learning out, uh, learning intentions, learning outcomes. Success criteria should be relevant, clear, measurable um, definitions of what you think uh, success in the learning will look like. And that's not something that we should really keep a secret from our young people. Like we want to try and get them to understand what's going on, what that would look like, and then obviously be able to you know, push that forward. So I think as well, if you look at the benchmarks, there's, there's well over 60 benchmarks. And if you're looking at BGE only from a secondary context, you've got three years really to work with young people. Um, so trying to achieve all these benchmarks is, is really not possible even just from mathematically if you look at it I think you know 195 days teaching and then you divide that by number of weeks of teaching and divide that by a number of uh, lessons you'll have with young people around the holidays and stuff like that just to make up the number just to make them all you probably need you know something like three lessons for each benchmark which is not really possible to do in terms of progression and stuff like that so just to try and think about a lot of schools, you know what they do is, is utilise beacon benchmarks. So for us, our school, we've got sort of something like 18 benchmarks, which are the kind of key ones we focus on um, between S1 and 3, that we dip into obviously different bits as we need to, and we've got the teacher agency to do so. But having a kind of core um, set of these benchmarks, so what do we want a physically educated pupil at Carrick Academy to look like? And understanding what that means and having everyone involved in that, Um, So that's pupils as well as teachers, so getting information from from young people as well and empower them to kind of tell you what they would like to know about their PE experiences as well there. I think just on on what Stuart said as well, if you can think about the fact that if we could get primary schools and nursery all the way through to the end of the SD, what an amazing kind of process that would be if you could get, you know, benchmarks that fitted the whole way through and we understood an actual progression for these young people right from the start. All the way to the end of day three, when the BGE kind of comes to the end and move on to senior phase.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point that you make about the pupil voice yeah eh, Jordan, sorry about the them picking a benchmark as well, and that's a good bit of knowledge to take away, I'm sure, for for the listeners. Rather, yeah. than, you, rather than you telling them what they're working on all the time, you can ask. I think it's
2: well. Sorry, there we go.
1: Like just that you can ask, you can ask the class, like what do you think is a weakness, um, and then move forward from there so they could be working on a benchmark that you want them to develop and then one from the the pupils?
2: Definitely, I think if you've got a clean slate with your pupils, one thing we do and worked out well before, especially if you're starting again in August with new first years for instance, saying to them like, what do you want to learn? What would you like to know about? What would you like to be better at? And then you go, they'll give you all the, the information that they think and then you can kind of combine that with your professional judgment when you get to know your kids and say, well, do you know what? We, we, we kind of really need to work on this or, you know, this kind of needs to be developed here further and they, that's the kind of experiences they need. But definitely get them involved. If, if they are, you know, asking you, they'd love to learn how to do something, like that should be kind of imperative to be in your practice, certainly from my point of view. Um, so, yeah, just quick on that, the kind of success criteria exemplifying what a learner should know and be able to do at each level. And that's obviously kind of stated there as well. Um, so significant aspects of learning, uh, everyone should hopefully have seen this before um, at some point or other. I've still got my poster that I got from June Murray at my time in Murray House, uh, the one that I got for free which is lovely, it's up there. And this should always be visible for young people at all times, this is what we are focusing on um, with our young people. So, is, that, um, is, that one can, is
1: that one I can see behind you Jordan? Is that you get one behind you? Is that on the wall? <laughs>
2: Uh, No, do you know what? That's actually the the picture that that Stuart got me. So, (laughs) aye. aye. It's uh, one of Edinburgh, so it's just got similar colours, but no, it's not. Is that one one for night out? The the, the cells is in my bedroom, just above my bed, so I can remember (laughs) you know. Anyway, um, so, but one thing to kind of note on the the cells, I think the founders, the people that were developing this, and from what I I know, the physical fitness wasn't included in the initial uh, run through of the cells. So it actually wasn't included in the initial thing. And then it's not really by just mere chance that cognitive skills and physical competencies were at the top and then the other two at the bottom. I think that tells a wee bit of a story that, you know, what's the kind of priority should be as we're making our way through this. And another thing just to quickly point on there is that they're in an order, they're in an ascendancy there. So if you look at cognitive skills, you know, if you're someone that can, you know, prioritise, then you can make decisions in a game. If you make decisions in a game, then you can multi-process, and it goes from that, and it's it's an opportunity to kind of scaffold that way and build upon uh, things from, from there. And I think you know we kind of talk about this as PE teachers. What's the most important cell you could have for a young person? I think the answer to that is balance. You can do nothing without without balance. You know that's how we 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 kind of found all the things that we do. And if you're constantly negotiating your balance, especially in a sporting context, then it's very, very difficult to do. So I think that takes a bit of um, work and looking and thinking and you know just um, having your own kind of thoughts on it and what do you think is important for young people and, and, and looking at the, the research and looking at the information that comes from there. the so thing think it's, you wouldn't have to look too far if you look at some of the work from Andrew DL on this um, to, think, to know about the importance of thinking and moving in a coherent way. So um, this is just a kind of quick... Um, overview of that because I feel it's great knowing that we've got the significant aspects of learning and this is what we're going to be focused on but then how do we actually achieve that in practice and one of the best ways I think certainly from um, my experiences is to align the significant aspects of learning with a model with a pedagogical model so for me these pedagogical models already have identified distinctive learning outcomes um, I, I prefer aspirations because, obviously, um, when you're teaching and learning, things will happen that you don't expect, so aspirations is quite good. But they are evidence-based um, kind of strategies and evidence-based outcomes, and they show very tight alignment of what would happen if you deliver this model um, in a certain way. So I think they, they kind of play real importance for us today because if we're looking to, let's say we want kids to cooperate, then cooperative learning fits in there nicely. You can't get pupils to cooperate effectively and you know, authentically if you're doing direct teaching styles so far. Um, so I think the pedagogical models are really important. And one way I just wanted to kind of showcase this was in, in my department where we've kind of gone with the sport education model. So Darrell Top's work, which I'm sure we're familiar with as well, if not, it's something to really look at. Um, and with the, with the models, there's obviously always a main idea there's the critical elements, the learning aspirations, which which just spoke about, and then information about the pedagogy of how you can achieve um, those outcomes. Um, so for me, um, this kind of gives a wee bit more of an insight or an overview just for the viewers to kind of see how we would structure that just now.
1: So would you say as well then for developing the kind of skills and techniques that we maybe use like teaching games for understanding?
2: Yeah, definitely. Definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Within, obviously, Teaching Games for Understanding and game sense and stuff like that, um, there's very clear, um, you know, critical elements for, for developing thinking players. Mm-hmm. Um, brilliant tactical stuff. And I know Johnny Penman does a lot of that kind of tactical um, games making and things like that. So if you want pupils to be good decision makers, you want good to be problem solvers, you know, and, and move well and have good cue recognition, Teaching Games for Understanding will be one that you should really be looking to try and utilise in your practice so yeah, th- this
1: is it I, th- I think you made a good point sorry John. i think you made a good point in your last a couple of slides back where you said that you assess the kids through knowing and doing so some, people, i know you probably agree with me here that you can, they can easily tell you the impact of decision making on performance but they're not maybe as good as showing it so maybe within that sport ed model you can see people who are good team workers but maybe not the best at actually sh- actually actually um, what i'm trying to say they're not, as, they're not as good in, in practice but they can tell you quite easily through the kind of level three and four if you know what I'm trying to say yeah, yeah
2: definitely definitely and it gives those you know those people that opportunity to, to really showcase what they know yeah um, so yeah definitely and this is it here so what I'm trying to say here is if you've got um, going back if I talked about before where I was, I was saying about um, the effect of domain and, and your emotions that relates very clearly again to the personal qualities so as I'm saying here if I look at you know, a competent sports person, who's someone who's developed skills and strategies to the extent that he or she can participate successfully in a game. You know, confidence and self-esteem. Let's talk about it. Motivation. That's where we can kind of create lessons around that. Um, you know, let's sports people, people that can take responsibility for the rules, the traditions of the game. Um, you know, distinguish between good and bad practice. Thirdly, you know, someone who can behave and play in ways that preserve, protect, and enhance the sport culture. So yeah, of course, respect and tolerance, um, resilience, determination. These are the kind of strands that we can kind of go into detail with young people and put them in good context that they can actually, you know, focus on that. Give them, give them something to, to solve. Give them a tactical problem to solve. Give them a session to put together and see kind of how they, they work it out together. Can they work together effectively? Or what happens? So when you're in a sport education module, um, you know the teacher is really the facilitator of learning there. So you're not um, directing them exactly what to do. This is what I need you to do. This is what's the next stage or whatever. You're really giving them the tools. You're giving them the the information, and then they are able to really take forward. And it's so empowering for young people to be put on that kind of kind of platform. They're not used to it, and it's great to see over a you know a period of time to see how it's kind of worked. And I know you've kind of done stuff like that before, Clark, haven't you? As well with um, is it your school of football?
1: Yeah, the school of football. Yeah, we started this year. It's worked worked really well, and they're enjoying kind of taking ownership and creating their own games. Because I've got that, I think because I've got the background knowledge, it's better. Because they're footballers and they go to football training, so it works really well with with the first years for that. But maybe with a a first year class straight in, it might be more difficult. Maybe maybe kind of build their knowledge of some of the sports first, and then I'd probably recommend doing that after, maybe January uh, with first years. I don't know if you've done it with first years, have you? You just do it straight away.
2: Yeah, you know, we used it be the first years and I think, just going back to what you said, you're totally right. I think how many times do we see, uh, um, you know, young S1 people who only only interested to take the ball, beat players and score all the goals for 10, 15 goals and it's like, that's great. But also, once you start to see them going, oh, I, to be successful in my team, I actually need to upskill others. I actually need to be a leader in this group to try and help because I can't do it all by myself because the goals in the games maybe are not... The constraints are so that the goals are not only worth 0.5, but actually, you know, something else is worth a lot more points. Yeah, being able, to, you know, give good answers, being able to give tactics for the games, being able to come up with, you know, rules for every player, what position you're in, and then maybe some of the key things that that player needs to do, then that starts to become really interesting and exciting for for me anyway. Where you can kind of see that side of people's not just being the performer, which is brilliant, but seeing them then help maybe some of the other ones as well.
1: Yeah, and I think, I think the ones that are, are more able then actually do have the ability to set up drills and skill practices because I've got the experience and knowledge and nine times out of ten in my experience they do, they do do that really well. Um, but I think there's been a lot of questions in the Google form um, from some, some of the students who are listening in about preparing them for National 5 in the BGE. But I think if you, you follow what Jordan's saying here and you, you mix up your models, you're 100% going to develop these these important skills and I think you've got a good opportunity to talk about the impact they're having on performance from S1 all the way through to S3. They can really build a real practical sense of how these benchmarks, because ultimately the benchmarks are very similar to the, the, the MEPs and National 5. So that, can, that, that that learning can start very early and really build their, build their knowledge early on if it's, if it's done properly. So that's good. Jordan, cheers. You just yeah. going to finish off with of that last couple of bits.
2: Yeah, sorry. I uh, just yeah. this here. So see, this is kind of what I would do. So we talk about it. We have like six uh, six weeks at, at, Car- uh, at Carrick. So two two lessons, obviously, the Man's day for a week. So we've got somewhere between ten and twelve lessons for for a block of work. Um, and this is what we would stick with for the six weeks. So you've got your significant aspects of learning, your learning intentions, success criteria, and then I just touched upon the other teacher success criteria, which allows the pupils to give you something to work on as well which works quite nicely but that's what they stick with for the full duration of the block and we really go into good depth and detail about that kind of level of, of work and discussing it and going and get feedback on it and developing it so i think that's where it becomes um you know real for the pupils because it's there they understand what you're talking about don't just do one lesson and then move on they actually get a good run at it yeah,
1: you so get depth as well as you said over the twelve yeah. weeks you get a real depth yeah. rather than yeah. changing benchmarks I've done that in the past you end up changing them every lesson you're just all over the place and you're not getting any real proper learning taking place
2: yeah so that's really my, my main points on that and then just my, the final thing there would be maybe just looking at the bottom looking at the kind of idl projects that could stem from that you know in a support education model if you go away and look at you know the information the research and and some of the people that have developed this in their practice PE teachers it's really, really interesting the kind of outcomes they can get from it and some of the discussions that can be derived from that kind of learning.
1: That's really creative. That would be, be a good idea, actually, kind involve of involving different uh, departments in, in the process. Right, thanks very much, Jordan, for um, going over the how you would teach it, um, a sport ed approach and activities. Would you, would you, would you just keep this um, focused mainly on team sports then, I take it, for sport education model?
2: Or can you... Yeah. Yeah, it can work. I think I think um, a couple of things. One, a lot of time with this sport education model, though, using it with a sport that's not been, um, you know, well-known by a lot of the people in society, like football and stuff like that, can be a really good way to start it with your kids, unless you've got like a school of football and stuff like that, more specialised um, kids. But um, I think team sports is probably the best way to do it. And I think it, if you're from Morrie House, you'll be well familiar with the international invasion ball block and that's you know really what I would suggest that's what we do our first years when they come in get them into an international invasion ball block via you know some sport education model and then just kind of watch everyone come out their shell and then find their own place.
1: Brilliant, right thanks very much, cheers. Okay, we'll move on then, I, that was
0: a, a real good insight into how you guys would deliver the BGE, give some really good kind of takeaway points there both Stuart and Jordan so Move on to the kind of final question of the, the main part of this webinar. So with PE classes typically being so large in size, one of the most difficult tasks that we as teachers are faced with is ensuring that you, the, the pupils know what level they're working at. Because um, that's obviously one of the things that the, the inspectors want to know that, that when they come in, I think that's what kind of throws a lot of people as well is making sure each learner knows what level they're at within the, the benchmarks and what level they're working at. So how do you do this within your department, I guess
3: is what I'm trying to ask you. Get to the point with that one. Yep. Um, I think, again, Jordan and I discussed this before. and I think because of the importance of your BGE, this is very important. Um, But again, going back to what I said earlier, I think it's really important across, not just secondary school, but in the primary school as well. Um, And I think if you start in the primary school, then by the time you're in your secondary school, pupils are aware of what, what constitutes you know not not specifically what constitutes this level but if you use the language of the sales and if you bring in aspects of the significant aspects of learning say rhythm and timing they're aware of what that actually looks like in a physical setting so i like um yeah I, i think first of all the learners if we need to know where they are we need to know what those significant aspects of learning what those benchmarks what they actually look like so what does a third level performer actually look like so as a teacher it's doing the digging to understand that and you know that might mean i mean that takes years it probably takes years of practice to go yeah i know exactly what that you know that performer is a level at this and this person is a fourth level because whatever so i think that's probably a never-ending task. You guys are possibly similar. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I told that, I told You're that always you. deciding, like, oh, what's that? Or the, you look at the sales, and specifically, you you probably are same. You've probably got pupils in your third year class who're potentially early level with some of their personal qualities, but they're a phenomenal performer. You know, so um, so that there's a difficulty there. Um, but I think yeah for learners to know in a class that's where you start I think you you need to know where you need to know your significant aspects of learning but present that to the kids in a way that they can practically see what it means and even just in terms of written up so for example when I was in um, say the primary school when I was teaching in primary school we would do a block of um, Scottish country dancing so similar to what Jordan's discussed there with having explicit Significant aspects of learning as our focus. So, we would maybe choose ones that are suited to that activity. And there's probably significant aspects of learning that suit football, but don't suit badminton, or suit badminton, don't suit rugby, and so on. So, we would pick out, say, rhythm and timing, creativity, and respect and tolerance. So, if we were, that would be our focus. And what we would do then is at the start of the block, I'm similar to yourselves, big believer in you need to get the pupil voice to go right, But well, if we're, you know, what does this involve? What, what is rhythm and timing within Scottish country dancing? What's creativity? What does that look like? So we would often, you know, with myself sort of prodding along the way, come up with loads of statements that we would stick around the gym hall, which was a bit easier in our primary school, that they could visibly see every time they were in. So it's like having a sales board there, but having an example of, well, if I'm do it, you know, displaying rhythm and timing at second level, in scottish country dancing it might look like i can skip to the music i can you know clap my hands to the to the four beats i can paddy back i can whatever so they were aware of this and then we would have a big class discussion we'd often get the learners to pick specific statements that they thought oh that's my big focus for the next three lessons so to speak so it's a bit of say individual choice there you know a bit of personalization and choice but very much steered to specific sales and um, and yeah we would just go on to do that we'd have you know you'd have your learner conversation with them where do you think you're at for this For the, you know do you think you're at that can you show me that you can skip to beats of four music can you show me that you can clap your hands and stamp your feet at the same time and so on and um, so they would choose that and then at the end of that sort of block we'd have some sort of evaluation you know a, a bigger evaluation of did we actually achieve those so, you know success criteria and along the way there'd be a lot of sort of formative assessment to you know, right okay i actually have achieved that and i think i can display that so i'm going to choose another success criteria for the next three lessons so to speak underneath the same umbrella of this kind of significant aspect to learning so yeah for learners to know where they are it, it's it's really important um but i think they just just show them you know sh- make them aware of what the statements are what it might look like as a performer and just support them in the way that you can um, to do that. So yeah, I think uh, that's how we did it when we were in a sort of primary school slant, where it was a bit, maybe a bit easier to have more time just to explain, yeah, this is what this looks like and so on. But I I think that's key. I think that's key. And
0: see, see with regards to that then, do you, how much time do you spend on like, do you try and gather like wee notes on pupils, like if you observe them doing like a certain thing that that can confirm just like for your memory so that you know maybe for reporting and stuff like that well, I think later on or do you have like a system maybe, in place that you that you use for that or yeah, do you maybe just maybe
3: like a, go by your,
0: your kind of judgment think, as well
3: I think I think we're maybe I don't know quite often maybe as teachers were quite scared to maybe say you know I'll use my professional judgment I've seen that I know that I trust my judgment we we had moderation so there was another PE teacher in the school as well we'd often have, you know, discussions of what does that person represent, this level and so on. Um, and yes, we had probably the dreaded spreadsheet at some point, just for tracking purposes, say, to say I, I left the school. So someone could actually come in and go, all right, OK, I know what sort of level um, they're at. Um, and yeah, that's kind of how we, that's, how, that's how we did it in terms of just recording and yeah we maybe take wee notes or sometimes we video the pupils as well so we can look back and go that was then performing you know the dash and white sergeant and they yeah. all displayed this that and the next thing and um, without without over killing it yeah with the kids you know without specifically being right this sal again that more success criteria you know because at the end of the day i'm a big believer in if you if as a teacher I took part in a lesson and thought, oh, I wouldn't really like to do that because it's a bit overkill, then you know, I wouldn't want to be a pupil in that lesson. So, um, I think that's
0: one of the key things. Like when I was coming out of well, I, I'm kind of still relatively fresh out of uni. I was only there in 2017, 18 uh, year. And then um, that was one of the things I was like worried about when I was coming out of uni. I was like, oh, how am I meant to like assess every single pupil through every single benchmark? How am I supposed to know that? Like there's like how many 26 odd benchmarks? How am I supposed to know what each level looks like? Um, for, yeah. all, for all the benchmarks but I guess it is like you said it's a really good point it's just it's experience it's just try and, trial and error with loads of different things like Jordan already too as well um using the different models and just getting a, a real breadth of experience and seeing what works yeah, for I think you and tell you time. it's, a, it's yeah. a long time like it's not something that you I think it'll be get. a long
3: time until I'm confident enough to go I know exactly what yeah, that person exactly is and so I, th- I think it's good I to think, clarify yeah. that
0: though, and it's something that I wish yeah. I could have knew as well because that's where a lot of my worries and anxieties came from when it was going to when I was going to teach BGs. Like, how did I do this right? It's almost looking for that certainty and that structure that you always want to follow. So it just well, makes it more secure,
3: particularly for the students there. You know, you're not going to leave and graduate knowing exactly. You know, all these things because you know, like we are saying, it takes years, so don't panic if you mm. think, oh my word, I don't know what to do, and I don't know what this, but, but do your research, you know, go and ask people, go and observe when it, we're back to some sort of normality, go and observe as much as you can, go and speak to as many different teachers to understand, oh, what would that pupil be at, and what level would that pupil be at, and look at it across the range, you know, go and, go to nursery and see what early level it is. so you mm-hmm. so then you can appreciate what fourth level is, and, and so on.
1: Yeah, yeah I, think, I think you make a that. good point, you make a good point, Stuart, about the cross- like your moderation with the other PE teacher, I think that's a good point. As long as long as the department knows what the levels are, and even more importantly, I remember me and Lewis were doing like phone calls in lockdown. The first lockdown, trying to come up with an approach to teach you BGE. We were on the phone for like four hours a, a day trying to work out how to marry the benchmarks up. And then we kind of came up with like the pupils need to know the levels as well. As long as they know exactly what level three and four is. Sorry, Jordan, if I stole your thunder here, but <laughs> um, as long as the, the pupils know the levels, then and then we come up with these. Um, like yeah. people friendly th- posters, yeah. yeah. And put them up in the, we've not done it yet, but you can put them up in the wall as well, so they know the language. and
3: Yeah, just everything has to be, uh, I, I it has to be in pupil speak. Yeah. Do you know, like putting up this, you know, this is what fourth level, because you go, what's fourth level? You know, right. they, uh, for, we're probably all the same. You got into PE when you were, you know, you enjoyed PE when you are young, because you like running around, you like being active you don't care, you know, as a pupil, you're like, I didn't really care much if I was at this level or this, because I just wanted to beat my mm-hmm. at I game of badminton. so it's doing it in a way that you can go, right, how does that people see that statement and go, oh, I understand that, and I can get yeah. that, and it's not jargon, that doesn't mean anything, and I can't be bothered, and then they take an interest, and, and then, yeah, so. well was trying to but do it subtly, isn't it, so you're developing it without them almost without being
0: i know you say try and be explicit with it so that they know what the focus of the learning is but it's so it's not just going through that such a rigid process of doing benchmark by benchmark it's trying to holistically do it and develop But yeah, the
1: thing is Lucy, i mean you we're looking at the benchmarks for level three and four kinesthetic awareness we we were struggling to understand some and some of the I know, I know. level three and four there weren't really any and so so we tried to come up with these people friendly uh, posters but they've not been used yet because a lot of them but
3: <laughs> yeah Uh, yeah i I suppose i had the luxury of when i was in the primary school there was maybe more traditionally more that like excitement towards it so you know that's the statement and they it was a bit easier to make it really really pupil based in terms of the pupil speak that you used and it wasn't Mm -hmm. to a point it wasn't patronizing um so so yeah but it's a it's a complex issue isn't it i know it is
0: it's a work in progress for sure but um I am quite conscious of time. So, Jordan, have you got anything that you would like to add to just that question?
2: Is I think going? I just very, very quickly that, you know, when you're talking about say, may, write, do, I think say and do are the two big ones for our subject. Um, and one thing that we do that maybe is adding to what you're talking about there, we run a PE passport. So the, the people have an opportunity all, at all, all times to access this PE passport which kind of journey through BGE, which again would be great if it starts at nursery and all, you had a, a passport for their full journey. It'd be a quite amazing experience. But um, they, they talk about their strengths and their, their development needs, what they want to learn more. And one thing that's quite nice is that, you know, let's say, for instance, in badminton, um, you know, if they're off at the side and they've played, at, you know, on decision-making, they're a brilliant shot to the back of the court, overhead clear to the back of the court and then a little net shot at the front, win the point, and they're off, you can go say, so, well, that was brilliant, discuss it, talk about the decision and say, hey, go and write that in your, your Pupil profile." it only take you, what, a couple of minutes to do that, they type that in, you can t- kind of talk about it, and stuff like that, so, that's just one way I think it's good, and having those linear conversations, when you get a chance to, if Pupils are off games, or, whatever else, you get big numbers, for like, Badminton, or whatever else.
0: And do you take, do you make sure that Pupils have that with them, every single lesson then?
2: Well uh, or just well, win <laughs> When, when it's like, when it's outside, obviously it becomes a little bit different there and it's pouring and rain and stuff like that. Ah, yeah, but
0: but
2: um, it's, like, it's in it's in the, it's in an area where they can go and get it anytime they want. It's in the game, so they can go and access, it. they know where all the stuff is, and they can go and take it, and they can write about it a wee bit, or they can just see what they did well. Um, There's big boxes, and it just gives them a chance to kind of self-assess as they go forward and reflect back on it, and that can all be used at parents' night. It's like well, they're self-assessing themselves. Obviously, your professional judgment's on top of that, and you can always go into that, but. If the, if the pupils are assessing it and it's real for them, then I think that's really worthwhile.
0: Yeah, brilliant. I that can I just answers my, my next question. It was just about how you use the information to assist with um, parental reporting and stuff like that as well. So brilliant. I guess it's just, it's all right, it's fine. Um, killing two birds with one stone there. Um, using your professional judgment along with obviously those pupil passports, which is a bit more meaningful, like you said, because it comes from the pupil. <laughs> Um, and then again if you're taking like the odd wee note on it, maybe if you get registered, if you've the, got the luxury of having an iPad in your authority you can have maybe like a wee spreadsheet where it is just instantly it's not an overburden on your workload um, and you can yeah. use those wee notes and wee pieces of evidence just to kind of add into your, your parental reporting but something I certainly need to work on as well and um, I'm sure it's still a work in progress for a, a lot of people But If,
2: if allowed to you can video your kids video, your, video six people as you think in, in a block that are third level then it's a the fourth um, you know and then you can bring it back to your department at your DMs and look at it and we certainly my authority spends a lot of time with the PE network coming together and what actually means an achievement of a level and when we could actually assess the pupils and stuff so it's, uh, it's big currency just now so I think for a student you would be going into that and if you can add to it it's brilliant but um, you know no one's kind of got it right yet I don't think Yeah.
1: Right John we'll move, we'll move into the, the there's four questions we've got one each we'll quickly move through these so we'll not be long 10-15 minutes to go there's a question in the chat box from Natasha, probably for Jordan, because he was talking about his PE passport. So having the PE passport, Jordan, do you think this could be a way of helping pupils link this to life and work? Or have you got a section in that passport that talks about the kind of um,
2: responsibility? So, of do you know what? We don't really have a section that can talk about, or that kind of links the two. Um, no thing that kind of comes close to that would be at the end of a, a lesson when you're trying to say, well, we've taught you um, decision making just now in this way or we've talked you respecting tolerance from a, a, a sporting setting or a physical education context now can you tell us how you could then link that to another aspect of your life and then they give you that answer and whatever else but i think it's a great idea to actually yeah. add that to it i never thought about that adding a kind of link to to outside of school or in their own home life yeah
1: that's a good idea actually as well right, thanks for that thanks natasha yeah. right move, moving on to the stuart first and just kind of this is questions from get uh, the listeners everybody um they put you all put in a question so we just looked through the questions and tried to come up with four which we think we wouldn't have covered so far in the, the podcast so um stuart it's just one is asking about success criteria so how how would you manage success criteria statements your success criteria statements those are manage yeah like how would you set them out or Kind of how, how does it link to this learning intentions?
3: Yeah, so it probably just goes back to what Jordan said in his uh, presentation there. You know, you pick your success criteria based on your sort of learning intention, so to speak. I would manage it in terms of make it pupil, make it into pupil speak, right? So, you know, there's things and I think some people maybe, I, it's each to their own, so I, I'm no expert in it. I, I do it my way, people will do it another way, but make it into people speak and some people do things like um, you know everyone uh, you know a success criteria that everyone can achieve that you know most people can achieve that some people can achieve that can be quite good sometimes and mm-hmm. um, you can have you know your success criteria you can have your set success and um, you know through sort of outcome you can have your success through your process so to speak and mm-hmm. um, i like having but you know i statements are good um, and i think don't get into the habit of worrying if it's oh, but I used that in the last lesson. But like, well, that's that's okay, you know. Mm-hmm. If you get to the point where you're doing certain success criteria and you're working on it um, for two, three lessons, that's fine, you know, in my opinion. But other people's opinion might be different. Um, that's how I'd make my success criteria. And sometimes I think you can be quite clever because I think again we all love PE as PE students, you know, PE teachers. You love PE, so. You want to make it as accessible to everyone as you can so you want everyone to have success so that means you break your success criteria down into i am you know beginning to do this or i am you know progressing with this thing and that's fine it doesn't need to be binary in terms of i can perform the layup." you know it can be yeah. be creative in that everyone can have success in different domains and it's not all physical it's not all you know mental social emotion whatever just be as kind of as creative as you can with it Probably. to meet your learners so that's
1: what i I love that you've spoke about kind of all some most which meets the needs i like the mm-hmm. bit about process and outcome as well so it's not just about i can do 10 keep you up it's kind of the process which is more important i believe um, yeah and i
3: think that links into your other quote you know your other quadrants of your significant aspects of learning depending on what you're focusing on as well
1: yeah i like how you spoke about the be creative with it so it doesn't need to be like a skill Success criteria that can also be like a an emotional. Or yeah, you know,
3: like at the start of a block, so to speak. You know, first years, your success criteria could be, you know, I'm changed within 10 minutes and I've got all my PE kit. And I'm sat there and ready to go. Or yeah. you know, success criteria is I read the starter task before I entered the gym hall, so I was ready to go and I was I was playing badminton before the teacher had even done the mm-hmm. register. You know, it can be as simple as that, mm-hmm. depending on what you want the outcome to be in relation it's to ugly. the conversations you've had with the kids.
1: Yep, it's all those wee things that make a big difference in the main part of the lesson, isn't it? I
3: think
1: so. Right, so thanks, Ed. Stuart, top man, thanks for that. We'll move on to Jordan then, and then we've got two more after that. So Jordan, do you feel there is a place to introduce written homework tasks linking to what has been covered in practical lessons within the BGE? I
2: think there's a place for it in the fact that if you would like to, to undertake that, um, kind of remat then there's a possibility to do so with your agency from my own kind of exp- my own kind of thoughts on this my opinion this would be that I would never um utilize the the senior phase to, or the the BGE to, to kind of speak about things in the senior phase um you know we've been given the the two times mandatory periods per week unique subject in that way so I would protect that at all costs that's um you know what for, for me maybe would say a not the right message where are we saying that the exam results are more important than lifelong engagement and physical activity um, I think for the younger years when they're on that then no I think we should protect the, the broad general education and there's plenty of time for them as they move forward into the senior phase you know the course is quite narrow factors impacting performance at national three national four national five higher advanced you know so plenty of time for it and for me the answer is kind of yes you could but for me no
1: yeah, I would agree with you. I would uh, stay, stay away from that. Um, keep it practical. They already only get, you know, 50 periods a week, but you know how long it takes them to get changed and stuff like that. So that's always always getting eaten into. So I would agree with you. Um, but I think with your pupil passport as well, they'll, they'll get, you know, some written elements to it through that as well. So I'm sure you'll cover bits of it.
2: Yeah, there's, there's a possibility to do so, and but again, obviously, education Scotland's you're you kind of significant aspects of learning. Then SQA is your senior, senior phase, so things like Stammer and CRE don't match up, and there's other these things like that. So yeah, um, yeah but you no, know, um, I would say triumph the, the BGE first.
1: Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Right, um, Lewis, what would your top three things to consider when planning a BGE lesson? to
0: pick three right to keep it short and sharp then I don't think it's going to have a patch on what some of the boys have covered tonight but my top three things I think it's important for everybody's context as well I don't know if this will apply to everybody um so number one would be the facilities that I've got because in my school we don't have amazing facilities don't have an astro or anything like that so often um national classes and higher classes get priority of facilities so if I'm meant to be taking like a badminton lesson and the sports hall when I've got a big class and I end up having to work in a a smaller gym it's about trying to um, give the learners the same quality experience as I would be able to in the the sports hall Um, if I have to like all of a sudden get moved into the the, the smaller gym so it's about having that plan B Um, maybe if you're doing like a concepts approach if it's looking at um, central net games uh, maybe going into a, a volleyball game instead of doing badminton where it wouldn't be conducive to to the smaller space. So that's one of the that's one of the main things that I need to always consider when planning my lessons for for the BGE. Second thing would be uh, the class that I have in front of me. So this will shape I've written so this will shape how I bring the class in at the beginning of the lesson and the way that I try and teach the class. So is that a class that I can get in and sit them down and maybe go through the learning intention. Are they capable of doing that? Are they capable of working in groups? Have they got the kind of interpersonal skills to do that? Um, or do they need to come in and um, get them to let off some steam first before I do this? And depending on the class I've got, well, I certainly shape what I do with them and and how I how I teach them within that lesson. Um, some other things I will consider the the differentiation of my lesson as well. So looking at the additional support needs that I've got in my class, some um, pupils I might have, have get like a visual impairment. So if we're doing things that require a lot of hand eye coordination, just thinking about the equipment and stuff like that that I need as well. Um, and then obviously differentiating any of the tasks that I've set and my, my success criteria and stuff like that as well. So that would be my, my second main thing, teach the class that I've got in front of me um, to try and get the, the maximum impact there. And then the third thing is what I want the class to learn by the end of the lesson. Um, so this will shape the success criteria and my learning my learning intention and success criteria. And the thing that I get taught at uni was that you'll probably be still familiar with is the, the Bloom's Taxonomy Framework. Uh, when creating your learning intention and success criteria. So it's given them, so like Jordan said at the start, it's having that overarching statement for your, your learning intention. And then for my success criteria, the way that works best for me in my head is having something that I can measure. So something that I can clearly assess. So not just saying I can understand how to do something. It's like I can maybe identify or describe or explain. And I try and have a, a bit of a mix and match between something that they can show their understanding of something and demonstrate practically as well so I try and have a, a bit of a balance depending on what it is that um, I'm teaching and recently off the back of like the podcast and stuff as well it's been experimenting with different teaching models so with an S3 class I've had I've been experimenting with sport ed model through football um, and experiment with uh, cooperative learning tasks through through volleyball um, when learning about different kind of practices and stuff like that as well so it's just I those those would be my top three things when considering planning my lessons and again, just really still at the very early stages and just a lot of trial and error in there as well. But they would be my three key things. The facilities, the class I have in front of me and what I want the class to learn by the end of the lesson.
1: That's good. The, the old um, class girls plan a lesson and then realise you've not got the facility that you think you've got and then you get moved out. Happens all the time. So I'll, I'll, always have another couple like your sleeve some games. schools
0: that might not even be a problem like some schools have got absolutely fantastic facilities they've got a couple of games halls they've got multiple AstroTurf pitches and that so it might not apply to you That's a but... common
1: problem as well I think Jordan and Stuart were laughing there so I think they have experienced that as well
2: I think one that springs to mind was that time Stuart where you said was there not a, a pony came in during your lesson <laughs> a pony? What? yeah was that up primary school
3: <laughs> <laughs> like a uh, the horse there was I don't yeah it's a long story just a horse came into the lesson and so we had to stop and, yeah that was it we had a horse level performer so. though
1: <laughs> splendid balance when it was landing. um right so my final question to myself um from one of the guests uh, one of the listeners, that asked which is quite an interesting one um, do we enjoy hosting these webinars uh so i'll just keep this really quick um, obviously we love um, collaborating with other other people like jordan and Stuart we learn so much from all the guests, so that's kind of one of the reasons we do it. Is if we are learning, then I'm sure, and I'm hopeful. Hopefully, the listeners will, will learn something as well. Um, me and Lewis are aware that it could fall on its backside at any stage, so due to external circumstances, things that come up. So we're just making the most of every single webinar and episode, and just kind of trying to make it as best, as good a as good a podcast as we can to fulfil the vision of inspiring, inspiring you, teaching many um, strategies that you can take away, and trying to entertain you along the way. So the final reason just before we leave you for, uh, for us doing the webinars is to make it as interactive as, as possible. So thanks to um, a couple of you who put questions in the chat box as, as um, the sessions went on. That's that, that makes it more interactive and allows you to have your say. Um, and I'm sure your question will, will have helped loads of other people who are on here tonight. So thanks for joining us. Um,
0: Can I say one thing before you round it up, Clark? Yep. Um, it was just, a, I kind of mentioned it at the start. There was a few questions that were kind of reappearing when I was looking through the, the Google Forms, and they were on remote learning and how to engage learners. So if you want to take a note of it, the, there was an episode we did with Alan Campbell, who's a teacher from Lanark Grammar, and that was episode number 42, so he's got a lot of really good information in there on remote learning. Um, there was a few on formative assessment strategies, so that was the most recent one that we uploaded, and that was, we put that live today, and that was a guy called Menno Slingerland, who's a um, researcher at Fontys University in Holland. Um, and that's where his research kind of lies is on form of assessment. That's his kind of area of expertise. And then Cameron Stewart and Chris Crookston, which was number 18 and number 19, that was on models-based practice. There was a lot of questions on that. Um, and they're primary PE teachers, but they share a really good insight into TGFU and the sport education model. So that was episode number 18 and 19. Um, if you want to take a note of that, um, if that helps answer your questions, because it will answer it certainly a lot better than myself.
1: Oh, that was well remembered there. I forgot to say that then, so thanks for jumping in. Um well thanks for joining us tonight. Um thank you to Jordan and uh, Stuart for giving the time up um tonight as well. So we really appreciate it, lads. Thanks for that. Thanks for having me. No problem at all.
3: Appreciate it, guys. Yeah.